We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Ruins podcast. This is episode 207 of the pod. Alongside Matt Rooney, I am Joe Musso. And it is playoff time everywhere you look. So closeout scenarios coming your way each and every night in the NHL. NBA playoffs roll on as well. Uh, some of those appear to be blowouts. Others appear to be headed for seven. We'll break it all down in our playoff recap. We've got a little buy or sell coming your way as well on this pod. Uh, no bear stock. There's really nothing. There's nothing to address. We wanted to. That was the first thing we, we brought did. up. Was like, man, is there it, anything to talk about? No. The the production meeting was like, how how much how much can I make uh, how much can I make an issue out of uh, Justin Fields' release time when it doesn't need to be an issue? Actually, mm-hmm. uh, saw a nice breakdown on that. Despite his longer throwing motion, his release time was the fastest in the class. Well, so when I go. tell you, there's no Bears talk. There was a little Bears talk off. We the top. still squeezed in <laughs> some Bears talk, people. No one <laughs> else is doing this. No one for else those is doing of you this. At home but uh, we will start in the only logical place we're a few days removed but uh, you will never be able to take history away from one philip alfred mickelson your reigning pga champion uh matt before we dig into it all how the hell are you I'm doing lovely. I'm doing lovely, Joe. Kind of settling. You sound low energy. Settling into the new apartment. I'm not low energy. I'm very high. Oh, new new settling into the new apartment. It's been uh, it's been a whirlwind of the last couple weeks. The new job, new apartment, all that stuff. But now we're settled. We're good. Sounds like you need to fill the apartment a little bit. Sounds a little hollow. Oh, dude, definitely do. I still sounds like you need to like hang some things on the wall. So I I still got I still got another couch coming in here. The 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 couch delivery was supposed to happen on the same day as the. Well, it's it's more like two small. What's two smaller Ooh. couches because I don't have the okay. room for like kind of one big sectional and, and, gotcha. and in the corner here where you'd wrap one around there's like a protruding kind of column so you can't really fit mm. one had to go mm. for load bearing load yes. bearing it's load bearing yeah. so we couldn't get the, the section we talked to the contractor we were going to pull it out but the whole thing would have come down is what they told us yeah exactly so we're settling in I still got, I got the uncomfortable couch right now the comfortable couch comes in on uh, next week I think Tuesday or Wednesday uh, very nice. Did you? How did you consume Sunday at the PGA Championship? Because from about, I don't know. For me, I think I threw a tweet out there midday Friday when Phil was really um, coming down that mm-hmm. back stretch and making birdies. Like, whoa! Uh, I, I'm officially freaking out about Phil. And usually, Phil gives you that thrill, pun intended. But then it kind of falls off because, as he said to his own admission doesn't really have the mental capacity anymore to stay focused or at least the focus level required to win a 72 hole major championship Uh, Mm -hmm. this week the formula proved positive and he does maintain that focus now there were some speed wobbles coming down the stretch on saturday that made sunday a whole lot more interesting so a hat tip and a golf clap to phil for not running away with this thing on day three but sunday final round how are you? How are you consuming the PGA Championship? I got to be honest with you. I was actually on the golf course myself too. I had a. Had a that's the. A, that's the I only a, excuse. I had. I had an outing with, uh, with with friends of the podcast, Rob Gallick, Matt Siegert, and Taylor D. Um, a, but we were. Force, it was not an outing. But go it was on. great. Uh, it, we know we. It was a little tournament action. We had. You know, it was. A, it was. We had some some stuff going on. It was. Were there sponsors? Um, Lost Dunes an Country Club. Go on. Lost Dunes Golf Club was, was the sponsor. Uh-huh. TJR, sponsored by TJR. No, it was me now. I'm a member. Oh, People oh yes, junior that. member. Junior member, I apologize. Um, but no, I was, was obviously following, doing a whole bunch of following on Twitter. was streaming here and there when I can, and then I got home in time to see it was the last two holes for Phil. So it's, I, I did get to see the end, and I thought, you know, obviously you're tracking it, seeing what's going on, and, and everything was cool about that final round. And, like, you you felt after one, I think it was you who liked the tweet. I think it was from from Kyle Porter when when Phil bogeyed and Brooks birdied. You're like, this seems over. Brooks is going to run away, and then the, the mm-hmm. script just kind of immediately flipped back. And kind of from that point on, you you kind of knew it was Phil's pretty much most of the way. And it, it was cool to get home in time and see the, especially on 18, kind of the crowd forming up behind him, walking behind him. That was the the scene we really hadn't seen since Tiger's win at Eastlake. To be was, honest with you, cool to be back for. Like, yeah, it was his to lose throughout the day uh, mm-hmm. after he retook the lead. There were five uh, two-shot swings in the first ten holes. So for me, the moment where I knew it was Phil's, like he had it, no problem, was 
when he was aboard on 17, um, when, when he was dry on 17. And even on mm-hmm. 18, he blows that one left. It's like, could he conceivably make bogey and Brooks make birdie? Now, Brooks didn't give himself the look that he needed. So coming down the stretch, that scene was amazing. It was dangerous. It was, it was everything at once. Um, but I, for me, it was not in the bag until it was in the bag. Um, it, and yeah, I guess if there's one that, golfer that that's the case with, it's, it's Phil. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, he could blow it left at any point in the tournament, but at 50 years old, he becomes almost 51, three weeks mm-hmm. shy of 51. He becomes by almost three years, the oldest player to ever win a major champion. And I just think it's so appropriate that history will remember Phil Mickelson for all that he's done. Six majors, uh, being Tiger's greatest rival, really being the only one with stats that have Tiger uh, mm-hmm. and have like, like, like double his stats and he's essentially Tiger, but stats that have Tiger throughout that era. He's really the only one comparable and he's not comparable, but he was the greatest rival. He's the great American Ryder Cup member that calls things aren't going well. He's got Mm -hmm. the levitation moment at the Masters to break through. He wins the Masters a few years later. He'll always be afflicted by a U.S. Open, uh, U.S. Open that he's unable to, to uh, attain, maybe we'll see what he can do at Tory. But I really think this was a one-off in terms of yeah. Phil contending at major championships with any sort of seriousness. Um, he even said it. He goes, "This this could very well be the last time, so I'm going to enjoy it as such." So he's aware of that um, finite nature of his career. He's already got one foot into the Champions Tour. He's got one foot in Saudi Arabia. He's got one foot in the broadcast booth. He's he's ubiquitous. Like he is golf. He is. Phil the thrill. He has given us so many moments throughout his career. I mean, the SEC coming to him at, at his car at Firestone to uh, investigate him about insider trading. Like, he is such a character that has given us so much to read, write, and ponder over that having Phil Mickelson's name on the history books as the oldest golfer to ever win a major championship seems right. No disrespect to uh, Julian Boros or whoever, I believe that was, that's how you pronounce his name, who held the record uh, previously, but it's good, man. I I feel like the name Phil Mickelson brings uh, uh, further amazement to that record. Not to say Julian Boros did it, but it is another major line on an already Hall of Fame career. And it was just really cool to watch him get it done. And I was personally expecting like this emotional upheaval and maybe some tears, but Phil being the borderline, I mean, sociopath that he is, it was, it was interesting to just see, it was interesting to see him try and process the moment. And it seemed like, Maybe we weren't privy to his real processing of the moment, that he was just sort of living in it and not even addressing the emotions as this was happening. I'm sure he addressed those emotions with his family when he got back with Amy, when he kind of sat down and looked at that Wanamaker trophy and said, damn, I did it again, 16 years removed from my last one of these. Um, Really, really special Sunday, one that I won't soon forget. And we can get to it after. I mean, I, I know I'm kind of uh, go for it. No, you here, you're, but, you're going well. You're rambling. But, I don't have a total time. I love this. The um, the stage that it occurred on, like it was such a great week at Kiowa, and I really think we need to have more of these things at Kiowa. The way that that course played with the wind and everything it demanded, it was more U.S. Open than it was PGA Championship. Mm-hmm. I know you've been out there, and we've talked about it at nauseum, but. Maybe not the best place to be on the grounds and experience a major championship or a tournament at that matter. Maybe not the best place to go out there and have a resort experience as a 13 handicap. But it was an amazing place for a TV product with the drone shots, with what these pros are capable of on one of the toughest courses in the continental United States. Like it was, it was the full package, Kiowa, Phil, a major, the scene on 18. It, I, I don't know that this tournament fell short in any way, shape, or form. No, for me, I think the course was, I think that brought as much, the, the PGA, we've, what we've talked about, it always kind of is seen as the, the fourth major. Um, it's now on the schedule second, but it was always kind of, not, not that by any means it's not an important major, but always kind of the one with the, the lowest, um, you know, what uh, what's the word, cachet, whatever you want to call it. it was yeah. Like, <clears throat> Kiowa 
gave it that feel, that bigger feel that I think it's been looking for. One that we kind of haven't had a feel like that for since like whistling straights back in the when when uh, was Jason Day I think won it last time Mm -hmm. it was there. I really do think that Kiowa needs to be. I I know the the PGA has some sort of ish regular rotation. Kiowa needs to be bumped up to that to you know every three or four years because I really think that's like you said it's a visually stunning course. It brought some real it made it feel more like that u.s open field because you don't have guys going out finishing at 16 17 under par in a major which is never what anybody really wants to see um and i I just i I think the prestige of that course and how it how it handled how it performed throughout the weekend is more than enough reason to bring the pga back there a lot more frequently and i think you'll probably get to see that or at least i would hope to going forward i know they have their schedules set and there's only so many things you can work around but once they kind of start you know, scheduling newer and newer PGAs. I think this has to be on the schedule a lot more going forward. I think the beauty of the PGA too is it doesn't get the credit for, we talked about it last week, kind of producing these one-offs, whether it be a random winner or a 50-year-old rekindling something. It always seems like the PGA opens the door for a wider range of outcomes. Now, that might not be as interesting to the casual fan who wants to see Phil Mickelson, Tiger Woods, Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, your upper echelon of guys who, if we're talking about a U.S. Open or if we're talking about – the Masters to to a mm-hmm. lesser extent because I think the Masters does sort of open up the age range a little bit more than other tournaments, but it is less limiting, the PGA Championship, for some reason or another, um, and it produced an unlikely, a 200-to-1 long-shot champion on this given week, and it produced a moment in golf history, uh, one that will not be forgotten as long as the record books uh, are written and as long as we are here. So none of us win the golf ball bet now? We just kind of... I was watch. trying to remember throughout the week, who was your... Uh, who was your... JT uh, was my... JT was who was my your long shot? I knew I JT was... Patrick your... Reed. I don't think he did yeah, anything okay. either. Uh, both of my guys, I had a WD and a missed cut. Sam Burns WD'd and uh, who was my favorite? I picked uh, Spieth. Or no, Spieth I picked Spieth. So he made, he made the cut. Yeah, he, he was just... Cut. He made, yeah, yeah. kind of barely made the cut, but yeah. Yeah, but I had a, I had a WD there out of Sam Burns. So, so good uh, on Sammy. Uh, We've no golf balls. Us, so just no golf us. balls to be bought. People. No golf balls to be bought this week. But uh, the U.S. Open does lurk right around the corner in Phil's backyard at Torrey oh, Pines, yeah. uh, another place Matt Rooney's played. But we'll get to I, that I, when, I, when the time, you said, when you the said that. You said it, not me. <laughs> we just got to check off Augusta, and then we got to have you do. Uh, we got to have you do the the British. Um, we got to have you do the Open Championship. Well, I, played tour, like, I played Port Rush. I played. You played, so you've knocked out Port Rush. I, I've got to get you on the old course. We got to get you on uh, Royal St. George's. Yeah. We got to get you on. Yeah, we got to we got to hit like the six the six tournament or excuse me the six once, location uh, rotation there. Once we finally get ourselves a nice big title sponsor to flip all that, I'll just I'll, I'll expense it to them and we'll be fine. Beautiful. Everything will be fine. It'll be great. Beautiful. Uh, plenty of time to break down the U.S. Open, but obviously the storylines of Phil going for the career Grand Slam in his backyard, coming off a major championship. Uh, they're ready-made. Matt, I don't want to go too far down that road, but do you think that this PGA Championship win makes it more or less likely that Phil gets it done at Torrey? I'm going to say neither, honestly, because I I don't think this is going to do much to sway the way Phil plays or thinks or is or anything. I think he misses the cut. That's that's very possible. I I don't know if it has anything to do. So much out of him. Fair enough, but I also think there is some – it's not right away. It's not like we're jumping. It's not like we're going straight from the PGA and we're going yeah. right into the U S open. He's still got a month to, to, you know, gather himself and kind of get back to work. Eventually he's probably going to have a little bit of a, a slower prep time now because he's probably what are doing, whatever he's doing after winning the PGA. Um, but I, I really don't think it affects it. I, I think he has as much of a chance to miss the cut as he does, as he did without winning this, just because he's, now 51 and still one of the most kind of uh, volatile uh, players on, on tour. Mm-hmm. And you kind of just never know what to expect from him. But no, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think it affects it. And I, it being at his home course, I think, has more of an effect to me, honestly, than having just won the, the PGA. Yeah, but you could say, you know, it's in his backyard, but that doesn't mean you're going to win a tournament at Lost Dunes, Matt. It, he's only won, he always, he's only won once in like a ridiculous number of starts at Torrey. So I don't think that that really elevates his 
ability to get it done at Tory. If anything, I think that the pressure of being the local boy with obviously every single feature that's going to be produced on him and every single storyline that's going to be written. I think that that is a greater weight on his shoulders and even more reason for me why he won't be able to maintain that same 72 hole focus that he did at Keogh. Keogh was a free mind, a free experience other than his brother, Tim being on the bag. He didn't have a, his family wasn't there. There was no real external pressures Mm -hmm. other than the pressure of, holy crap, I'm 50 years old, I might win this thing. And he even said it, not post-round, but an interview, I forget who he did it with uh, in the days following, but he said, as, as early as the fifth hole, he said he was picturing in his head hugging his brother Tim on the 18th green. That's not good. I'm sorry. Like, that's not... I don't know, man. You got to see it. You got to vision it. You got to vision it. You got to see it in your head. Maybe between rounds three and four, but not when you're standing over the ball on number six. Uh, so maybe that focus wavered a little bit and he got away with it because I'm not going to take anything out of Phil's win uh, because we will history and we will remember it as Phil Mickelson winning the PGA Championship at 50 years old. Yeah, but nobody nobody tested him. Nobody pushed him. Nobody tried him on Sunday. Um, no, it was, there were some early scores. Excuse me. Or some early scores posted on Sunday. I believe Abraham Answers shot like a 66. There were some other low scores out there. Mm-hmm. Spieth made a nice little charge at a moment. It made us think that guys were going to be able to get to red numbers, but the moment was obviously too big for the guys at the top of the leaderboard. Brooks included. Louis Eustazen included. Um, who else? Kevin Streelman put together a nice six-hole stretch and then disappeared. So yep. it was really Phil's to lose all day. And um, I think that that allowed him to maybe falter from time to time. The one he put in the water at 15, I believe it was. Like there were, there was enough air, enough space for him to make a mistake and it not be damning. Uh, that does kind of jog my memory on it. What did you make out of Brooks's Sunday? Because yeah, maybe he's a little bit dinged up. Um, I was, head, I was very his head, surprised. His head could also be in the wrong place uh, after we saw the video that came out with Bryson between rounds. Uh, we'll we'll get more on that in a little bit yeah. here, but. Um, the game just was not there on Sunday at a PGA championship, which to me was super surprising. Yeah, I, I, I was, I mean, he was the betting favorite going into Sunday when he wasn't in the lead. So I think that told you what Vegas at least thought about him. I was the same way. I was kind of going in there preparing myself for a Brooks win and possibly like a Brooks comfortable win. Um, I took the actually actually live bet before the round started um, the winning margin to be two shots because I I kind of thought Brooks was just going I thought Phil was going to play not that great probably make a couple key mistakes and Brooks was just going to be Brooks was going to be a little bit of a runaway train just never really happened for him it started with that first round bird or the first hole birdie and then after that was just I don't know what happened I mean you, you like I said you watched more than I did so you could probably tell me exactly what happened on the course but at least from from tracking it was very anti what you expect from Brooks Kepka, kind of the guy that doesn't ever really seem phased and just goes out and plays the villain when he has to and wins. Yeah. Um, didn't, didn't happen at all there. And I think that that's what I learned on Sunday was that the bravado that is Brooks Kepka is, I'm not going to put a percentage on it, but is in part a defense mechanism. And mm-hmm. it is his way of maybe taking a little bit of pressure off his shoulders. That like, you know, I don't really practice. You know, I don't really care until it's a major week. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm just trying to go out there and ball strike it. And yeah, I only say that it's in part a defense mechanism because I think Brooks, in his brain, truly does believe some of those things. Because think of the way Brooks Kepka golfs his ball. There's never been the oh my God, helicopter finish, cut it around the trees moment. There's never been the up and down from the middle of nowhere because Brooks really just kind of keeps it between the mustard and the mayo. If he, he never really blows it off the map. He's always giving himself an opportunity to just put a good iron in the middle of the green, make the putt. Put a good iron in the middle of the green, make the putt. Bomb one down the fairway, wedge it close, make the putt. It's very methodical the way he does things. Um, So to see him off the map on Sunday from time to time, it was was jarring for me. And and I think that – Right now, those that Mount Rushmore we have of current 
studs, current dudes on the PGA Tour, however mm-hmm. it goes, however you want to call it, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Justin Thomas, Rory McIlroy, um, Bryson DeChambeau, whoever you, you want to put in that top tier of players on tour right now, there's a lot of question marks surrounding all of them. Uh, br- uh, excuse me, Dustin misses the cut. What's going on there? He gave you that. Gave any, you that prop on uh, last week. Remember, I said if you could find yeah. it, take Dustin Johnson and Bryson to miss the cut. Obviously, he Bryson hasn't. Didn't. He hasn't done anything uh, since winning the Masters. Bryson, this whole oh my god, he's going to break off and win every tournament ever. Well, he he's contended hasn't really done a whole lot since winning the U.S. Open. Um, Rory McIlroy, he wins at uh, was it that what the Wells Fargo? Not the Wells Fargo. Whatever. No, it Wells Fargo was this week. It was uh, yeah. Um, Wherever he, he wins, he wins Quail his Hollow? previous he win Quail, Quail Hollow? Hollow. Yeah, he wins. No, that was previous, the Wells Fargo. You're right. Yeah, this weekend he wins Charles in his Wall. previous. He wins in his previous start. He's a no show here at a major championship. Justin Thomas missed cut. Uh, burns an edge to try and make the cut and make the weekend on Friday. So there's just a ton of question marks surrounding all of these guys that we consider shoe ins. The ten to one to twenty to one range that we see each and every week. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting uh, remainder of the major championship season and then into the postseason with the FedEx Cup playoffs. And then mm-hmm. uh, we can dig into this in a bit here, but hopefully Bryson and Brooks can make nice before Ryder Cup time comes September. Yeah, that's really all we care about with them. But I, I think what you're talking about, to, to, to your point, I love that like all these great players, like, that the guys that are kind of leading the game now do have all these weaknesses. I think it does make for a better product that these guys are all kind of taking turns trading on their runs and we've talked about it now for a few years that you know you kind of have the, that rotating mount rushmore almost of the if you know, these guys are kind of up top and now you know, justin wins the players and now he's kind of swirling spiraling down a little bit i think it makes it more entertaining just because i don't really know which one's going to pop up on a weekend which one's going to look like the most dominant player in golf and try and make that play so for me i love that unpredictability while it, it, it's predictability of one of one or two of those guys is always going to be hovering around the top but the unpredictability of who's going to go out and be that guy but also who's going to not show up this weekend i just i i I think that's a lot of fun for me to watch and i'm really and i'm the the silver lining i take in it because i do want to see these guys succeed i would love this i would have loved to see spieth win last week and complete Mm -hmm. the career grand slam um really elevate himself to that godly level of golf greats but what it is, what it has done, when was the last time you heard anybody call anybody the next Tiger Woods? Yeah. It's been, it's been a minute. So I think that the parity in the game right now and the amount of talent that there is out there and the, um, again, varying level of expected return has gotten us away from that dumb conversation. And for mm-hmm. that, I'm thankful. Yeah, I mean it- – no, no one in this group, as good as they are, is ever going to be the next Tiger. We might never see. I'm not sure that until Charlie well, comes not, around. So. Well, not even Charlie, but I'm not sure that that human being is walking Earth just yet. But uh, someone, anyone can someone do it, will Charlie. do. Someone will do something special at some point, and we will again be having that conversation. Today is not that day, so we keep things rolling here. We're on a Charlie Woods podcast. podcast I didn't agree to that, but let's talk NBA. Let's talk playoffs. We got a, a couple other things to hit here before we say goodbye. Um, Washington, Philly, Atlanta, New York, Memphis, Utah was the slate on Mm -hmm. Wednesday night. The Garden absolutely rocking uh, with profanities thrown each and every way. Um, You got popcorn thrown at Russ in Philly, and then you got Donovan Mitchell throwing up a beautiful performance in his first game back, 17 missed games. Mm -hmm. It was really an exciting night. Um, This first round has been, outside of some of the uh, more lopsided series, it's been a lot of fun. I think those matchups that I... This is the most fun I've had watching the NBA playoffs in a year. It's probably since that uh LeBron versus the Warriors NBA Finals. This is, I think, the most fun I've had watching an NBA NBA playoffs just in general. so we've got Milwaukee with a 2-0 lead over Miami, headed to Miami. Uh, that's coming your way tonight, Game 3. We've got Phoenix um, taking a 1-1 tie to L.A. And then Denver and Portland tied at a game apiece, headed to Portland as mm-hmm. well. Memphis and Utah, 1-1. Atlanta, New York, 1-1. Washington, Philly, 2-0 Philly. Barring some sort of catastrophe, Philly's going to close that thing out in five games or less. I see mm-hmm. a sweep. They're just super dominant. Um, same goes eh, – I wouldn't say same goes for Milwaukee because Milwaukee we know can 
and falter. And I think Miami is not going to go down without a fight, but I do think Milwaukee gets that job done. And then you got the Brooklyn Boston series. uh, That's very lopsided. I think Brooklyn closes that out in four in Boston. LA Dallas has been the biggest surprise for me with LA going down 2-0. They were my Western conference pick. And the biggest question mark around them was, you know, what are they in the playoffs? Because they're a great regular season team. They overthink it a little bit. They lose their last two games almost intentionally to face off with Dallas and Luka is making them pay mightily. What has been your biggest storyline in this NBA playoffs? Uh, I mean, the return of the Garden has been awesome to see. Like, And obviously the Knicks have been playing there, but seeing fans back in that building alive, it's kind of like a culmination of the team has sucked for so long and this being the first time they're allowed to really have a full building, or I don't know, I don't know if they're full, or I think they saw 15,000, so basically full. Um, having those games one and two be their winning last night and kind of, I don't want to say easy fashion, but, but bouncing back after that game one loss, that for me, that storyline has been, I think, the best thing to watch just because it's it's it feels like everything's kind of healing itself. And I think yeah. you see, you see a lot of throughout, throughout most of these buildings that are at least partially full. It's really just awesome having fans back. And we, we talked about it on the podcast, I think around new year's, we both said, you know, biggest wish for this year is just to, to get fans back in the buildings and, and, you know, hopefully by college football time have full stadiums back. And, and it seems like we're kind of getting that a little bit earlier. So it might sound a little bit cliche, but for me, the biggest storyline throughout the playoffs has just been, having the buildings back, having like the feel of playoffs in the building, having real fan reaction interaction has been awesome. Even though there have mm-hmm. been some, some negative fan fan uh, reactions in, in Philly. But. Yeah. But Philly's going to Philly, New York, yeah. New York. Um, that's just kind of uh, act like you've been there, but you haven't been there type situation. And mm-hmm. it's been really cool. And I did, I do follow some people that were in the building last night at the garden and the place was absolutely humming from the second they opened the doors until the go Knicks go chance on the way out the door. Um, enjoy it now. Enjoy it now. That would that heed, heed my warning, New York and enjoy it now because the 76ers appear to be a juggernaut. So the Sixers and the Clippers kind of come into the playoffs with the same question marks surrounding them. Great regular season team. Mm-hmm. Absolutely the best season in recent memory for both of those teams. The Clippers have had more pass success than Philly, I'd say. But Philly has answered that question for me on who are they in the playoffs through two games. LA obviously has not. I think Philly is a problem in in the second round for the Knicks. So conceivably, let's say Knicks-Hawks goes to seven. Um, That means you get two more games in the garden this round, and then you're guaranteed two next round. Enjoy those four nights. Enjoy maybe the five nights that it's going to be, or the six nights. But I don't see them getting past the 76ers in the second round. Mm -hmm. Have fun with these moments. Enjoy them for your team and not to just berate the enemy. Um, It's really cool to see these buildings – doing what they're doing and us kind of getting back to normal, but uh, enjoy it while it lasts for one reason or another, New York. My biggest storyline, which will add another chapter tonight is sort of what's going on out West in terms of the top two teams in the jazz and the Suns. Um, Brooklyn is going to beat Brooklyn. I I don't Mm -hmm. know that anybody in this tournament can beat Brooklyn four games out of seven. I, I just don't. They're super special. They create points at will. Um, They said it on the broadcast the other night, and I believe it was – I don't know if it was Sarah Kustak because I was watching the local broadcast who made the point. Or if it was um, Ian Eagle. I forget who it was who made the point, but there is not another team in the NBA who has three players that require a double team. So if you're guarding them one-on-one, they do what they want. Kyrie Irving one-on-one does what he wants. Kevin Durant Mm one-on-one does what he wants. Kevin Durant two-on-one does what he wants. James Harden one-on-one does what he wants. Now, this isn't a game or a playoff that's going to be predicated on -on one-on-one basketball, but when you need to create a bucket inside two minutes, sometimes it becomes that. And when you have three options of guys that can create out of thin air, you're probably not going to lose that game. So I just have a hard time seeing anybody beating the Nets four games out of seven the we, Knicks are a great at, story. The Sixers are a great story. Brooklyn's a great story. But my eyes go out west because what Donovan Mitchell did last night in his return, 25 mm-hmm. points in 25 minutes, it showed you how important he is to this Utah Jazz team. And I think that I'm, I'm just as guilty of anybody else in, in this matter 
of not giving Donovan Mitchell his just due and not giving the Jazz their just due. We said they peaked. Well, they looked like they peaked because Donovan Mitchell was gone for the last mm-hmm. month of the season. Donovan Mitchell comes back into the fold. They're a freaking problem. And I think that they're, they're going to continue to be a problem regardless of the, who they're playing. Let's say uh, Dallas does overcome the Clippers. They maintain this two-game lead. They get it done. They get their four. It's Utah versus, and I'm just jumping to the conclusion that Utah beats Memphis because they just look like the team that can do what they want out mm-hmm. west yesterday night. Utah's going to walk over Memphis. So then they conceivably get a matchup with either, let's keep the door open to everybody. Denver, no problem. Portland, no problem. Phoenix, I like Phoenix and I want them to win, but probably no problem. L.A., I don't believe in their health. I don't believe in the pieces around LeBron. I don't believe in LeBron being able to stay healthy for another 20 games, nor do I believe that for AD. Utah is the team to beat in the West through what we've seen through this first week and a half of the playoffs to me. That's my storyline. I I mean, after watching last night, I don't think I can disagree with you. I mean, I think you think of the Utah Jazz, you think of, you know, Defensive Player of the Year, Rudy Gobert, a team that's going to kind of not be a team that's going to blow you out of the gym in terms of how much you're going to score, the team that's going to win more defensively. Last night they but go they out. they scored like 141 they, That's or what something? I'm saying. Last night they went yeah. out and dropped 141 points on a night that called for the, you know, some nights some nights you're going to have to score in the NBA. Think, last night think was of one the, of those, and they went out and did. I mean, Jai, you got 47 points from him. He had, his, he had a career night last night, and the Jazz – Career high, made, franchise playoff high for Memphis. Jazz made it seem like nothing. I mean, the the – Grizzlies had the big third quarter, and that was kind of that from there on out. They made a nice little run, cut it to like five or six, and then we're never really closer because the Jazz just didn't let them. Now, the thing that is really, I don't know, I wouldn't say worrisome, but the thing that gives me pause about the Jazz is their ability to do this night after night, day in, day out, because they did do that in the early parts of the season when they opened up the season 38 and five mm-hmm. or whatever they were when they yeah, went on insane. that 18 game winning streak, 14 game winning streak. I think it was 18. I think it was an 18 game winning streak. They've shown that they can maintain that longevity during the regular season. Can you do that in the playoff when it is a different beast and maybe a little bit more defensive intensity is required? You're not going to be able to outscore Phoenix on Phoenix's hottest night. If LA can climb back, you're not going to be able to outscore LA on LA's mm-hmm. hottest night. You're going to have to defend. And they did show for all the defensive highlights that Rudy Gobert had a night ago. You still did give up 47 to Ja and I believe mm-hmm. 120 something to Memphis. So they're going to have to ratchet it up a little bit. Def- uh, well, thank you. They're, they're going to have to ratchet it up a little bit defensively uh, for me to consider them the favorite to win this whole thing. Because again, Brooklyn is just a problem with no answer. And, in Brooklyn, uh, you look it, at you look at their game against it was Boston uh, two nights ago. Now, like you're talking about how great th- their big three are, and obviously you're right. They're Anytime they're on the court, all three should be commanding or could be commanding a double team. But then you have, by Blake Griffin's by no means a superstar, but he's the fifth option to score in that starting lineup. And then you also have Joe Harris, who if, if somebody is commanding a double team, you're going to leave Joe Harris open for three or have a, a good look at three just about every time. And he's one of the best three-point shooters in, in the NBA. He goes for 25, 7 to 10 for like. There's no answer for that. You can play no, and really then, good defense on those big three, and then forget about Joe Harris. Boom! Like there's nothing you can do about it. A certified rim runner in Nicholas Claxton, who has had some amazing highlights around mm-hmm. the rim as well. Um, they're they're pretty complete now. The kryptonite to anyone's completeness is Joel Embiid, because outside of man, maybe Rudy Gobert can guard him inside, but mm-hmm. once you once you get Embiid 15 feet away from the basket, Gobert really gets out into uncharted waters there. Yeah. No, nobody has the skill set of Joel Embiid, and that's the Brooklyn Nets included. So fingers crossed that that's the Eastern Conference Finals that we get, and um, we can really see that thing play out in front of our own eyes. Yeah, it, it really should be. I don't think you're getting a Sixers collapse or anything. I think you're going to see those. Those are just those are the two best teams in the East right now, and I, I don't think it's really all that close. Uh, let's transition this playoff talk to a fresh sheet of ice, Matt Rooney. Because wait, 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 wait. Do you want to talk about your your Western Conference pick, the Clippers? We haven't really we kind of glossed over them, but what, what's I, going on there? What is there to say? They're mentally weak. Uh, Kawhi Leonard isn't a vocal leader. You lost the voice in the locker room in Lemon Pepper Lou. Uh, because Lou Williams, Lou Williams and Pat Bev, when you put those two together, that that's like those are two of the Infinity mm-hmm. Stones right there, and, and you lost one of them. Paul George, uh, if I may, if I may, uh, Denny Green for a second here, he, he is, is who we thought, thought he, he was. 
uh, and we let him stinks. off the hook. You want to crown him, crown him then. He, he stinks. He, he stinks to high hell come playoff time. So uh, this is no longer uh, a question mark of who he is come playoff time. We know there's enough data on it. He goes away. Um, and Kawhi, we've seen him carry teams before, but uh, let's not discredit that Toronto team around him, whether it was Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, there were pieces around him. Uh, there's pieces on this Clippers team, but they just, I don't know if, if, it's, uh, if they're uncoachable uh, because Ty Lue, uh, I mean, he's coached teams to championships before, and I'll mm-hmm. say what you want about those being LeBron teams and him uh, being a louder voice in those huddles. Uh, something's missing. And until you can identify it and change it, it's going to continue to be missing. And I'm, I'll raise my hand on saying I was an idiot for giving him the benefit no, of the I, doubt. I was right there with you. I took the Clippers as well. Uh, I was series, right is by, series, series is by no means over. Um, they got to go and make some noise in Dallas. But Luka Doncic, I think, has been the star swept under the rug uh, throughout this playoffs early on uh, mm-hmm. because he's been just – excuse me, just as special as anybody else from an individual standpoint, if he mm-hmm. can maintain that, it, it's goodbye L.A. In, in short order again. So I, I just – I can't say I'm surprised by it, but I am, uh, I am once again coming to you for emotional support because the Clippers are yeah, who we thought they were. It's, you talked about the lack of, like, the edge, the lack of mental toughness. It's like – What's the identity? You know? there, there is none. Like in in Toronto, when they when they made that run, it was Kawhi's really good, and everybody else was. I mean, obviously, they had some talent, but they were all really hard to play against. And they kind of had that edge. They had that mental toughness. And, and here's your and here's your put, inconvenient truth for that championship year. If Clay Thompson doesn't blow out his knee, if Kevin Durant doesn't blow out his Achilles, yeah, different. Story. Toronto doesn't win. Toronto Toronto gets swept, maybe. But still, even if you talk that team, I I like what that team brought to the table yes, more yes, than yes, what yes, that yes. that's more what I'm saying. Obviously, the the Warriors had some injury issues, and that was one injury issues they couldn't overcome. But like, I, there's just this this Clippers team is like that without the edge, without like the fire to. They just kind of seem like they're going through the motions at all times, and like I'm not. Kawhi's never going to be that guy, that fiery guy, and that's okay. But if he's not going to be that, you still have to have some guys on that roster that are going to bring it. And it just doesn't seem like they do. You know who Kawhi Leonard is? Who is Kawhi Leonard? Kawhi Leonard's Scottie Pippen. And that's no disrespect to Kawhi Leonard or Scottie Pippen. That is a Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer, tried and true champion. Mm -hmm. But he is not Michael. And I'm not saying that anyone is Michael. He is not the 1A. He is the 1B. He is the Robin. He is not the Batman. And I I, I don't think you could be as great as you want to be, physically gifted as you want to be, as dominant in an ISO game, solo game as you want to be. You can be great on both ends of the court. If you do not have the edge, you cannot be the leader. You Mm -hmm. cannot be the 1A. That's where that's where Brooklyn's so dangerous. They have three one A's, maybe two one A's, and Kyrie's a one B. But Kyrie was the reason that Cleveland won it with LeBron. So who's Batman and who's Robin? There, different conversation, different day. But my point here is that until Kawhi Leonard has a running mate who is equal or more than him, mm-hmm. it's probably not going to happen. And okay, bring up Toronto where he is the one A there. It doesn't happen if they don't get the perfect set of circumstances there. Yeah. He's not going to get the perfect set of circumstances this year, each and every series from now until the finals. It's just not going to happen. So what can you do, Kawhi Leonard? How much of a bona fide superstar can you be? He's answering that question night in and night out that he is Scotty and not Michael. Yeah, I agree with you. I just It's, uh, it's going to be interesting. They're going to have, assuming they don't, go very far in these playoffs they're gonna be a fun offseason to track this year because they're you, you can't come back with this team if you lose again and this time in the first round of dallas you just can't bring back bring back lou bring back lemon pepper lou that was uh, the Matt, weirdest we trade to, of all time <laughs> we do need to keep this thing rolling uh transitioning here to the nhl playoffs i want to tee up here i know we haven't had one in a minute because our blackhawks well the season's been done for about two months now but we don't like uh, them anymore we're mad at them Need you to tee up a Matt's Hockey Minute here. Uh, I've been dialed into these playoffs largely in part because um, it's, it's great content at work, mm-hmm. and it's been a lot of fun to watch these playoff matchups end-to-end. 
Matt's Hockey Minute on the clock starting now. Who's your favorite? What's the matchup in the finals? I mean, you and I were talking about it in the uh, quote-unquote production meeting. It's it's Colorado's the mm-hmm. lose right now. They just look like an absolute yeah, wagon. So. They're getting good goaltending, um, especially not, not to knock anything the Minnesota Wild have done, but if the Minnesota Wild pull off the upset against Vegas in Game 7, which they forced last night, uh, Colorado's, I, I think, probably just cruises to the conference final. Um Toronto's really good. I, I just, I, there's so much going on with the Canadian district. Yeah, Canadian, like, Canadian be, COVID issues. Are they going to be able to play? Be, if they play, are they going to have to? Scottsdale, maybe? Yeah, teams? like they might like, have to go play out of Scottsdale. They're also playing without John Tavares, who is, you know, their be- one of their three, two best players. Um, their captain, all that. He's doesn't look like he's coming back anytime soon. That hit was, was terrifying. Um, it, I, you were saying you think it's Tampa uh, coming mm-hmm. out east, and if Tampa goes back to the finals, I wouldn't be surprised. I've been on the Carolina Hurricanes bandwagon all year. I just, I really like them. I think they're a very under the radar, deep, talented team, and they're starting to get a little bit of better goaltending. I kind of think, no, no disrespect to Boston or the Islanders, provided Carolina does not lose two in a row to Nashville, the, the winner of Carolina Tampa probably faces Colorado in the Stanley Cup finals. Um, but these series have all been a lot of fun to watch so far. I mean, Montreal stealing game one on the road. Granted, they ended up going, losing the next three to Toronto. Like that's a big rivalry series. The Islanders Penguin series had all the fireworks you can ask for. You got wild Vegas going to, uh, going to seven games. So it's been a lot of fun for me. Yeah. I I think it'll continue to be a lot of fun. I, I know I have the same sort of read on it as you in terms of some of these other teams. Um, this Boston Islanders series is going to be a ton of fun, mm-hmm. but it's got cannibalism written all over it for lack yeah. of it. I feel like they're just going to eat each other alive and have nothing left coming out of that series. Um, it, it's, it's not the, you know, I, I said the best thing for hockey coming into this playoffs would be a, uh, a, a Toronto Boston meeting at some point, or just, you know, we, we tend to lean towards a Could you imagine a Toronto season. Boston Stanley cup final. Oh somehow? my God, that'd be the best thing for the game. You know, that'd like insane. that'd be, that'd be the absolute best thing for the, the sport of hockey. But it's probably going to be a Carolina, Colorado, a mm-hmm. Tampa, Colorado, and the you know, I do aren't going to be great because outside of those markets, what is the interest in either one of those teams? You don't. You're not a. You're not the Caps who at least have the allure of Alexander Ovechkin and T.J. Oshie. You're not the Penguins who have the allure of Sidney Crosby, who has been a household name for the last decade and a half. Mm-hmm. You're not the Blackhawks who have this exciting core and. Uh, you know, when they were going through their cup runs, Kane and Taze, I feel like maybe we were a little bit disillusioned on it, but I think that they were interesting no, they, to they, outside they markets, you know? I think part of that... I think, sorry to cut ahead. you off, but no, I, think if you pull, I think if you pull the everyday sports fan who is tangentially interested in hockey and playoff hockey for mm-hmm. that matter, and if you ask them to name two players on the Avalanche, two players on the Lightning... Two players on Carolina, I think a small percentage of sports fans and casual hockey fans mm-hmm. would be able to do so. I think – I agree with you to an extent. I, I do think out west, granted Colorado's not on the east coast, they're not Chicago, but that is a little bit of a brand that people kind of remember from being – I mean, they have had legendary rivalries with the Red Wings back in the 90s, early 2000s. They still bring a little bit of a brand, and I think they're so good that while the ratings might not look – great in this Stanley Cup Finals. I think, it, like you were saying, it's important for people to watch them because that team is going to be in the Stanley Cup Finals a lot more going forward. I think this isn't going to be a one-off. They have very serious like Blackhawks-type potential to be that team out west. It's really good. Um, yeah, out east, having a Carolina or a Tampa in the Stanley Cup Finals, as good as Tampa's been, um, is, is and they're defending Stanley Cup champions, too. I think they're trying to kind of grow a little bit but it's never going to be the same as having a boston in there and i just i don't see that happening um a colorado carolina i think would be an absolute ratings nightmare for the stanley cup finals but at the same time i think that would be selfishly as a hockey fan that would be just an unbelievable matchup that i really want to watch uh matt let's dive into some buyer set oh wait connor mcdavid got swept we we swept that on that was connor mcdavid got swept i don't believe tallied a point in the first two games connor mcdavid yeah Connor McDavid, Mike Trout, 
seeing that comparison getting quoted around guys. Kelly <laughs> Sully's Connor McDavid's went, been to the playoffs. Uh, I'll, the, I'll wait for your thesis paper on that one, man. Yeah, I'll get one out there. I'm There's looking, something I'm there. There's something there. To it. I'll yeah. have a full report next week. Thank you. We appreciate that. Um, yeah, you know, the game stars don't always. The league uh, is not happy that Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin are out in the first round. We can leave it at that. No, so, so the Connor old stars McDavid. are gone. The young stars, I mean. Who, who are the young stars still? Austin Matthews. Uh, Austin Matthews is still with, around. With Toronto. Um, Nobody really – I don't know why he hasn't caught on because he is a top five player in the NHL. Next time you watch if, – if you get a chance to watch the Colorado Avalanche, and I know you have a lot of the TVs going at the office, just watch Nathan McKinnon. That guy yeah. is a top five, maybe top three player in the NHL. He can do just about everything. He's as fast as anybody. He has a fantastic shot. He is, he's not Connor McDavid, but it, I, I would put him up against anybody in the league after Connor McDavid as the most talented, best player in the NHL. Be one so there's, to watch there's for a name that's as, one to watch for. And that is Matt's Hockey Minute here on the Moose News <laughs> Podcast. Episode we got a couple in there. Thank you for letting me have a couple. 207. Uh, I mean. I maintain that this is episode 208, but you tell me it's It's not. I, I, I you're, literally trying to, you're trying to cheat us one. You're trying to cheat I checked, us one. I checked the timestamps. You're right. You're right. Yeah. No, you're <laughs> you know right. what you want me to do? Uh, I want you to jump into some buy or sell. You got anything for me? I do. I want to talk Bryson and Brooks. It's just, it's pretty simple, but uh, you're buying <laughs> or selling the, the Bryson Brooks uh, rivalry. I'm buying it for the next month and then I'm selling it. Figure it the frick out because these are Mm -hmm. two of the greatest American golfers in the game right now, and if that team room for the Ryder Cup at Whistling Straits the last week in September is not sound, and these two boneheads blow this thing for us because the chemistry's all messed up, then I'm going to be pissed off. They're not going to blow anything. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun right now. I don't know because you could tell Brooks has legitimate disdain for Bryson DeChambeau, and frankly, I can't blame him. The guy is now. Now the game is fun, but the but the individual, the guy doing poor form curls on his uh, Instagram story, the guy walking behind my the guy walking behind my interview and saying how great of a shot he hit into eighteen. I hate that guy. Mm-hmm. That guy's a that guy's a hardo. That guy is a a try hard to the umph degree. Um, I need Bryson DeChambeau to dial that back a little bit so everybody can get along come Ryder Cup time because the Amer- we've talked about this before. The American ethos of golf is a individual pursuit. Uh, come Ryder Cup time, we need the team to work well together. Now, I know you could put them in separate pods or you could make sure that they're never in a team event together, but what would be better than Bryson and Brooks paired an alternate shot? That would be freaking hilarious. It's never going to happen, but – no. I, I, it just poses Brooks a might problem. Quit the team. It Brooks poses, might just it, he quit. He could. He could. It poses a problem for American golf, and there's enough problems out there. Phil Mickelson uh, being a captain's pick, I think, has to happen. But what sort of game is Lefty going to bring? Yeah, he's a PGA champion. He's played some good golf this year. What sort of game does he bring in September? Dustin Johnson might not qualify and might have to be a captain's pick this year for the Ryder Cup. What sort of issues does that present if, if, the big, if the big bopper doesn't have his game come September? Mm-hmm. The U.S. Ryder Cup team has enough issues on its hand that we don't need these two 10-year-old, 10-year-old, 10-year-olds? These two 10-year-olds. 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 Yeah. Is that French? Yeah. 10-year-olds? Yes. Okay. Uh, we don't need these two guys getting in each other's way and getting in the U.S.'s way where they are obviously – the superior team as they are each and every time we trot out a Ryder cup team and then we lose because Europe knows how to play the team sport better than we do. Now Europe's got problems in the sense that the European captain Padraig Harrington just had a better finish at the PGA championship than anyone who's going to qualify for the team. He's the European captain this year. Yeah. I did not know that. Uh, Nice. It's, it's Patty on their side and it's what fear, on our side. Uh, I think it's Stuart sink. Stuart sink. No, that sounds wrong. I thought You're it was right Sink. Then. Why did I think it was Stuart Sink? Maybe he's uh, we'll, a... We'll, we'll get the research team on it. Yeah. Um, but, but I think everybody needs to sit down. And, I, think these, I think these conversations need to start happening now. I think that the team building retreat, we need to find a week where all these guys are taking it off, the majority of the team is taking it off, and we all need to go sleep over at Tiger's house, and we need to get some... I don't know, I don't know what the status is. of. I know he was, he was redoing the practice uh, range in the backyard. We all needed to go out there with a wedge and sing Kumbaya and sit around the fire and figure this thing out because for a 
as fun as the uh, social media tete-a-tete is right now, it mm-hmm. could be truly damning for the Ryder Cup team. Yeah. I, by so the I, way, buy I'm now, doing a little... I buy it now and I sell it two weeks from now. Doing a little research. I, I said Stuart, Stuart Sink when I was thinking of Steve Stricker. I don't Steve know why. Stricker. I said, Steve uh, I actually Stuart th- Sink. No, Stricker was, I believe Stricker was uh, in 2016. I think you actually might be right. I think it might be Jim Furyk. I don't know. I just Googled United States Ryder Cup captain and it said put a year on that. Stuart why don't you put a year on that production analyst? I, okay. Okay. Jesus. 2021 Ryder Cup captain. It's a golf podcast. Steve Stricker. Steve, Steve Stricker, Stricker again. Padraig Harrington. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, That's the name uh, I was thinking know, of when I said Stuart Sink, by the way. And no disrespect to Steve Stricker, but this Steve Stricker, I think it's important who Steve Stricker's uh, vice captain is. You just are. like saying uh, Steve Stricker. Steve Stricker. Steve Stricker. Steve Stricker. I'm actually Googling it and not just pulling this out. Steve Stricker. Vice I was going to say, that's like good vocal exercises for before you go on air. <laughs> speaking of which, feeling a little shaky in the voice last night after that, uh, after some intense NBA basketball. So uh, I, I'm going to go on vocal rest here after the podcast Smart. before my shift, before Smart. my shift tonight. Uh, Steve Stricker, U.S. President's Cup team. So far, Stricker has chosen Davis Love the Third, Zach Johnson, Zach Johnson? And, Jim, and, okay. Zim, and Jim Furyk as assistant captains okay. for 2021. He's also, I know, extended an invite to Tiger. It's just a matter of if uh, Tiger can kind of um, be in the physical shape to mm-hmm. – uh, and I'm sure, you know, Tiger's, Tiger doesn't take that role lightly. He – Tiger wants to be in guys' ears on the tee box. Tiger wants to be monitoring yeah. the whole golf course. Yeah, we can get him on a golf cart and move him around, but can Tiger assert himself the way Tiger Woods wants to as an assistant mm-hmm. captain? I hope so, because it's going to be someone. It's going to take someone, not to say that Steve Stricker, Zach Johnson, Jim Furyk don't command that respect from Brooks and Bryson, but if Tiger's in the room and he looks at these two guys and says, hey, fellas, enough, those two understand that it's enough. Yep. Uh, when the big when the big cat speaks, so it's going to be a lot of fun, and hopefully it's fun for the right reasons. Um, and, and we'll see how it all goes down in twenty twenty one at Whistling Straits. Do you have Do you have any intention of of being there? I would I would love to try and be there. I think there's there's some some things in the works to try and get us there. You know, it's, not us, uh, not us, me, not you. No, no, no. That's that's week yeah. two or week three of the NFL season. So uh, I'm going to be. Uh, knee deep in it over here at CBS Sports HQ, but um, yeah, I think they think there's, uh, there's going to be an effort. It's an easy drive here from Chicago, just a quick two that's, hours. That's that's could be a day trip itself. if you wanted it to. Uh, I think I got a couple for you here, Matt. Oh, interesting scene between the Cardinals and the White Sox on Wednesday. Uh, pitcher gets tabbed for you know loading up the baseball. Uh, doesn't get tossed. Manager comes out and gets tossed. They just switch the guy's hat. Joe West is uh, at, at the root of all of this. Matt, buy or sell the MLB beginning to enforce the loading of baseballs? I think you got to buy it. I think it's getting to the point where it's been so obvious this year. Like it's it's been so obvious this year, and I know part of the reason numbers are down in offensively at least is because of the you know change to the swing trajectory trajectory and trying to hit more home runs and that's causing more swings and misses and that's great but like you're getting all-time low numbers you're getting all-time low batting averages you're getting all-time high in strikeouts like you got how many advantages can we give to the pitchers you know Uh, exactly like it's it's just getting to the point where it's getting kind of ridiculous and it is it's making games a little bit more boring like I, i i know the we've gone kind of this boomer bust route we're pretty much homering or striking out but like you're even seeing less of that now and averages are, I mean I think uh, the the league wide batting average is something like 230 or something it's the lowest it's it, been like it, ever it, it bumped it bumped up this week to 237 so I think it's now the second lowest since like 18 whatever like yeah, the live it, it's the second lowest in the live ball era right now I mean and it could drop below that mark to the first lowest today and like when you got Garrett Cole going to his glove every time before he grips the ball, or these pitchers kind of going to their arm, like it's it's just so blatant. Garrett, obvious Garrett Cole, these. Garrett Cole loads from his hat and from his glove. Yeah, and the guy is is as talented as anybody in this game. Why can't you just do it clean? And now they're going to tell you that the data says loading up with whether it's sunscreen, rosin, whatever else it is, it doesn't increase the spin rate. It's when you get into the uh, pine tar. Pine it's tar. when you Something get into sticky. it's when you get into some of these concoctions that guys are putting on their neck, uh, like Pineda got tabbed with a couple of years ago. Um, it's when guys are getting real sticky with it that you're 
starting to see spin rates increased, movement increased, and mm-hmm. the ball becomes almost unhittable. Um, everybody on that infield has something on their glove. Um, everybody's got a little bit of tack in that glove within the rules of baseball. Now, yeah. if that ball, if, if a ball's hit sharply to shortstop, he catches it in the palm of his glove, throws it to first base, and that ball comes back to the pitcher with a little something on it, fine. That, that's, that's a baseball with a little bit of wear and tear on it. Mm-hmm. But if we're getting every time a baseball comes into play, a pitcher going to his hat, then going to his glove, then going to his arm, then going to his neck, mm-hmm. it just can't happen. Um, the purists are going to tell you that it doesn't change anything or, or, or the guys that are protecting the pitchers, I won't even call them the purists, they're going to say it doesn't change anything and if anything, it protects the batter because the pitcher's got a better control on the baseball. Well, the pitcher's also RPM and the shit out of that thing and the, and the batter can't hit it. Mm-hmm. That's not protecting. Now, that might be protecting the batter from getting hit by the pitch, but it's not protecting the batter from not having a job in a couple years because yeah. the numbers uh, don't bear out. I, I just think something needs to be done and – was it the right place, right time on Wednesday? Maybe not, because Joe West has now set a standard that, hey, if you have something on your hat, you can't play ball here. You, you got to have a clean hat. Now, if you're going to your arm and picking up a little bit of um, sunscreen and, and yeah. a little bit of sunscreen mixed with that rosin bag at the back of the at the back of the mound gives you a little tack. Well, that's within the rules of the game. That's within the that's what that's what's within that's what's allowed within the game is a pitcher mm-hmm. wearing sunscreen and a pitcher having a rosin bag on his mound. Now, if you can mix those two things up and get a little competitive advantage, more power to you. But I, I can't have you with a hat covered. Elmer's glue. Uh, I believe. I believe Garrett. I believe Garrett Cole has crossed the line. I believe old boy. I'm blanking on his name. uh, John Means. Uh, We've seen him cross the line, go into his glove over and over again. I believe a number of other aces have crossed the line. I I won't say Jacob Degrom's name because I think he does it above board, which makes it far more. it, It makes it even more impressive of what he's doing. But. I think it needs to be addressed by the league and not a one-off by an umpire. It, it need, the league needs to say, hey, guys, clean no. hats or you're putting another hat on. Yeah. If we see you with anything shiny inside the glove, you're out. If we see you with anything shiny on the neck or on the arms, you're out. You can put on your SPF 50. You can work your rosin bag. You can mix those up like a chemist. But anything <laughs> beyond that, we're not doing it here anymore. Yeah, it, it it's gotten to that point, and it's – like you said, it, it they're it's just getting so blatantly obvious. It's not even like people yeah. are trying to hide it anymore. And I, I think it's time the league fights back. Uh, you got anything else for me? I don't. That's it. Did I you have a, did you have one another one? More yeah, let me flip to my notes here. I think sure. I have one more for you. Oh, just to go a little deeper on the um just sort of some of the scenes we've seen out of New York and Philly these first two nights, and I don't want to be the get off my lawn guy, but mm-hmm. Obviously, what happened in Philly crossed the line. You don't dump buttered popcorn on Russell Westbrook leaving the no. leaving the stadium for any reason, but leaving the stadium with injury to boot. I want to talk more about the New York situation and their um, plus. That's a waste of popcorn. There, it's a waste. It's thirteen. Waste of money. You just threw, um, you just threw away ten, their, ten bucks. Their reverence or lack thereof, on which they've addressed uh, Trey Young, on which they've addressed their opponents on the utter fact of we haven't been here in 13 years and we're acting like it. Matt, buy or sell just the profanity-laced scenes we've seen in New York and the way that they're treating their opponent. Um, it feels very New York to me. Like, I, I don't think it ever – I don't remember if it ever got to that big of profanity chance with Reggie Miller, but it kind of has a similar feel to that. I just think part of that is being the garden. I, I don't think – there's any need to be dropping F-bombs and chants at playoff games, but I don't mind the, the heckling and the treatment of a rival player as long as it doesn't get to the point where it's, you know, disrespectful slash physically, you know, and like it gets to the point in Philly where you're dumping stuff on them or throwing stuff at them. Obviously, that's where you draw the line. But in terms of chanting, provided it's not, you know, offensive, racist, whatever, anything like that, I, I'm, I'm kind of okay with it. I agree. Um Obviously, Maybe there's a line that needs to be drawn, but that I don't think the Knicks fans have yeah. crossed that line. Eh, I think they're right there. I think yes, they're right I think there. they're. I think they're towing it, but I don't think they've crossed. Trey it. is Trey is balding. Maybe that's within the rules, but fuck Trey Young for 48 minutes seems a little yeah. excessive to me because I don't think it's. I, I, I'm not the one. Oh, think about the kids in the stands. Oh, mm-hmm. think about this. Think about no. For me, 
it's just taking away from the already amazing scenery at the garden. Like mm-hmm. that building was so loud. It was deafening uh, through games one and game two. That's plenty. I, I feel like you're almost taking away from this, this energy that you've created in the building and making it something else when you go that direction. Yeah. I think that, I think that having been and not to compare it, but I mean, Oracle Oracle shook my teeth in some of those games with the Warriors in the finals and in the conference mm-hmm. semifinals. That building got rocking like no building I've ever seen before. I'm sure the Garden is comparable, if not more than that, over these first two games. And it was plenty to just be loud. Yeah. It was plenty to just get crazy. You didn't have to – it wasn't a – there might have been a couple fuck LeBrons coming up from the 300s, and that's perfect. But it doesn't need to be a, a, a facility-wide, a stadium-wide thing because I think at that point it does take away from an amazing uh, atmosphere that they're creating at the Garden. And I think what you mentioned earlier is the fact that they haven't been there in 13 years, combined with the fact that fans haven't been allowed in stands, you know, for however long now over over a year. I think it might just be a little bit of a perfect storm type situation that they're just so kind of overflowing with emotion and all that stuff and then excitement to be back that, yeah, they probably are going a little bit too far, uh, but but unnecessarily far probably. But I also don't think it's to the point where I'm like, man, that's disgusting. That's gross. They got to stop. Yeah, uh, I think I'm I think I'm right there with you, but uh, it's going to be an exciting series throughout. And hopefully we get a, uh, as, as much of the garden as we can throughout these playoffs, because. Like LeBron said, basketball's better when the Knicks are good, and uh, uh, it's been a lot of couldn't fun. Couldn't agree more. It's been a it's been a lot of fun to watch. Do we watch have any UFC continue. this uh, this weekend? No. I don't uh, think so. Last weekend we had the Cody Garbrandt uh, fight. Uh, he took on uh, Font. Well, I forget Font's first name, but uh, Garbrandt got tuned up this weekend. I don't think there's anything special. Okay. Uh, we did oh, get an announcement. We did get Dude. an announcement that uh, Max Holloway is going to fight again in July. Those are always wars. Those are always okay. a good time. I we like watching Connor, him. We got Conor Poirier in July. July is going to be a really good month. Okay. Uh, for I see Adesanya is fighting at uh, 263 in June. That's good, right? Adesanya, so Vittori. I don't know who Vittori is. It's a, it's a nice – I mean, he's, I believe, a former world champion. Uh, Marvin? Martin? Martin Marvin, Vittori? Marvin Vittori. Yeah. Marvin, Marvin Vittori, Adesanya. yeah. yeah. Um, but Izzy – Izzy needs to get back in the good graces after going up to a uh, light heavy. So hopefully we get to see the style bender doing his thing again. But July mm-hmm. is a crazy month for fight sports. I believe uh, we get uh, Holloway back in the ring. We get McGregor Poirier. And then we're also getting uh, a Fury uh, versus Wilder. Oh, third I, yeah, I forgot that is going to be this month. They've, 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 come, they've, come they've come to terms as well. Uh, I don't know how interested you are, but June, I believe, early June, we get uh, the Mayweather-Paul fight. Uh, we get Izzy, so uh, we're here for the we're here for the conflict. We are here for the conflict. Uh, and I'm also we'll seeing that down for you. UFC 263. Nate Diaz is back in the ring, or Octagon, I should say. Oh, okay. I don't know. That's a name for me, Joe. I don't. Yeah, I, you, you can like, tell. I just I don't know. That's a name for me. That's one. We're gonna watch. Guys. We're gonna watch Nate Diaz stand in the middle of the ring and trade blows with whoever he's fighting, and his face is gonna be all bloody. Yeah. And he's gonna say "fucking Stockton," and he's gonna win, and it's gonna be what a Nate Diaz fight is. Sounds um, great. Pretty, it's gonna be pretty straightforward. Yeah, I'm gonna watch it. It's gonna be good, but it's gonna. It's. I don't think we're gonna be dealt too many surprises in that one. Fair enough. Uh, Matt, it is always a pleasure breaking it all down with you here on the Moose and Nudes podcast, episode 207 of the pod. As always, we appreciate Ooh, you guys. A little bit of breaking news on the pod, the by pod. the way. You, you mentioned What's Jacob that? deGrom. The, the Mets, are, Mets are shutting down Noah Syndergaard for six more weeks with elbow inflammation. That's a tough one. Wow. He's in a free agent Mets, here. I mean, bigly, the bigs, we could get into this for hours, but the bigs have just – nobody has been safe from the injury bug across Major League Drop Baseball. Dropping like flies. But the Mets have, I think, had the worst of it. They've had, like, four center fielders uh, go uh, to the White, out, The so. White Sox are right up there. Yeah, but the Mets, I mean, go go look at the Mets list. Maybe they haven't lost the stars that we've lost. But Fair enough. Go look at the Mets Throughout list. Throughout the lineup, in to- maybe. In, in totality, we're having trouble fielding uh, a lineup from day to day. Fair um, enough the Mets but uh, you also just jogged my memory on some some breaking news that I just read 
on Twitter uh, sort of going along with no better place to break news than a podcast that's it what we've been breaking down here that Philadelphia 76ers fan was a season ticket holder he has had his season tickets revoked and he is banned from the Wells Fargo Arena indefinitely and with that we say thank you for tuning in to the Moose and Roots episode 207 for Matt Rooney I am Joe Musso we are here to bring justice and entertainment we will do so again next week on episode 208 I believe it's 209 but different conversation for a different day as we say here on the Moose and Roots trust the producer for Matt, I'm Joe. We trust Matt and the process. Thank you, for, as always, for tuning in. As always, get at us on Twitter. Send us those mailbag questions. We'd like to dig into the mailbag, but it's mighty light these days. Uh, get at us at Moose and Runes on Twitter, at Matt Rooney, at Moose on Air. Send us your questions. We will address them handle. and engage with them at, M- at MRooney23. There you go. Thank you. Whatever. Shameless plug <laughs> for Matt's Twitter. Uh, but that's going to do it for this episode of the Moose and Runes podcast. Thank you. As always, for Matt, I'm Joe. Talk to you soon, people. Later, folks. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. Chicken on the steak was phenomenal.